0: There's so much data out there about COVID, it can be hard to make sense of it all. Over the last year, a couple of statisticians have been working to help the readers of The Guardian get a handle on the numbers. They have a new book out, COVID by the Numbers, and that's the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me is regular panelist John Baylor, chair of Miami statistics department. We do have two guests joining us today. Anthony Masters is a chartered statistician, a statistical ambassador for the Royal Statistical Society, and a frequent blogger and explainer of statistical ideas. In his voluntary role as a statistical ambassador, Masters has contributed to BBC and Full Fact articles, among others, and he writes about stats, survey research, and coding in R, on Medium. David Spiegelhalter is the chair of the Winton Center for Risk and Evidence Communication and has dedicated his work to improving the way that quantitative evidence is used in society. He's the former president of the Royal Statistical Society, as well as a three-time former guest on Stats and Stories. Masters and Spiegelhalter have spent much of the pandemic writing about COVID stats in a series of pieces for The Guardian. They've got a new book out, COVID by the Numbers, Making Sense of the Pandemic with Data, which uses stats to help readers better understand COVID. Anthony and David, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: A real pleasure. Thank you.
0: I wonder if you could just talk about how your column in The Guardian got started.
1: Okay, I'll start on that one then, um, because it was first of all, I got asked to do one, one. (laughs) <laughs> last last january and um and it's it already was it was three they gave me 350 words now have you ever tried to write about complex statistical issues in 350 words it is difficult i mean i always say it's twice as difficult as 700 words which is a sort of standard little <laughs> blog length and 350 is really difficult. Anyway, I had a go. And then they said, oh, why, can we have some more? And I thought, oh, God, I'm never going to be able to keep this up. And, and so I, I'd already been working with Anthony on some FAQs for the Royal Statistical Society website, which we wanted to put up. I'm on the sort of COVID task force for the RSS. And we wanted some FAQs and asked for volunteers. And Anthony volunteered to start writing FAQs about R, ah, about all these other stuff. You know, COVID, what's a COVID death mean and all that kind of stuff. So I knew he could do it and he wanted to do it. So I said, Anthony, would you, would you like to share the writing with me? And in other words, do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, famous last words.
1: <laughs> and... um and and we're still going after forty forty two, 42, or forty three or so. We've done of these yeah. things. We're going to yeah. stop. So we can't keep on going, but we keep on getting. And this is not yeah. only uh, online. You can find all these online um on the Guardian, but it's actually in the um the Sunday version of the Guardian, which is the Observer, and it's in print. You know, it's a body, and it's in the column comment and analysis section in the center of the paper, and we get the bottom of a page. So we get this, we get this actual printed column every every week, and so we've been doing that. And I don't, we haven't really. It's amazing that I don't think we've repeated any um, any topics yet.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. As I recall, uh, the yeah, I think the suggestion there would be a small number of columns, and that we would, eventually they would stop asking for them. Uh, but yeah, rather different future has. Uh,
1: uh, yeah, unravelled. We keep on asking, do you want us to stop? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hoping they're going to say yes. And um, as you know, as Anthony usually does the first draft. And we talk about them on the Tuesday, perhaps. Tuesday or Wednesday, Anthony does the yes. first draft. And we edit them and get them in. Friday evening or Saturday morning for for the Sunday and and they really accept them without editing. We got early on. We got in such arguments because they started writing the headlines and writing inappropriate headlines. We got really cross. And so we not only get an, a pretty well unedited article, we write the headlines. Can you believe it? it uh, which That's is incredible, unbelievable. I've never known that at all. But we got into wow, such so ar- Yeah, we got into yeah. such arguments about it. <laughs> 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 well,
3: I, I'm curious what, what was the what was the first article? Were you kind of assigned a topic, or was it just a general
1: invitation to write about this? Oh God, I can't even remember what it was. Was it about vaccinations or
2: something? Uh, it was on. Um, on excess deaths.
1: Oh, I got all right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, uh, we was, was
2: the first one that David wrote, and then we wrote one on vaccine effectiveness.
1: Yeah, explaining vaccine effectiveness was was right back at the day you know early clinical trials, Pfizer yeah. trials, and things, explaining vaccine effectiveness, which everyone was getting wrong all the time in the media about what it meant. So, um, and and then it, I mean, basically, we got they got more and more sophisticated the arguments about, um. Oh well, last one was on um, the proportion of pregnant women who've been vaccinated. But we get into some quite subtle issues about the difficulties of estimating case rates in unvaccinated populations. We kind of think one of the ways we might try to get out of it is making them increasingly obscure and difficult. And we've got we we've we've actually got one ready, which Anthony's written on collider bias, which um, this issue. Uh, the fact that smoking appears to be protective for COVID and so on, and so um, yeah. we're, we we think we're going to we, when we really get fed up, we'll wheel that one out, and then nobody will ever ask us to do it again.
2: <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm kind of planning on that probably being the penultimate one. Uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, and then a kind of lessons learned from the last one. Uh, yeah, yeah, the collider bias one is a properly difficult topic. I have. Written into the draft, a kind of recommendation for people to go, you know, calm their mind, get a cup of tea kind of thing. Like, like, because it's like you do need to think whilst reading it.
0: I wonder, besides this one, has there been a story that you wanted to tell that was really difficult to get into that 350 word space?
1: Oh, I mean, anything on diagnostic tests and false positive Mm -hmm. rates and, you know, essentially Bayes or something is is difficult it really is do you do you You know the standard way you'd do it if you had images and time you'd say, well what it means for a thousand people and so many you'd, you'd go through a sort of argument expected frequency argument and we just haven't got space and to, to do that and so it has to be done in a slightly more hand wavy way many people have you know have obviously written those articles yeah but they're a lot longer and so we've had mm. to do that what, Anthony, what else do you think what's been the most when we struggled on most
2: uh modeling I think like fu- yeah try and model the future in terms of scenarios and things like that and like try try get people to understand that some of the more outputs are very assumption driven like as in uh, you know how, how many contacts people would like to have um, and how that changes and yeah that, that 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 was incredibly difficult
1: yeah trying to get the idea of, of- Producing scenario assumption based scenarios rather than straight predictions.
3: You know, I, you talked a little bit about your your workflow about the the Tuesday Friday deadlines. When when do you come up with a, a sort of the general topic? So, Anthony, is that something that that when when you're thinking about this, do you have an idea of what you're going to be contributing? Well, well, obviously tomorrow's done, but how about next, Tuesday <laughs> a week from now? Uh, yes. So
2: often I I'm looking at the news, looking at social media, try try find what people are discussing because that's, that's what the common is directed towards. It's about uh, numbers in the headlines and, and other and news stories and trying to ascertain actually the statistical problems you know behind what may seem a very simple number. So yeah, I, I undertake some very rudimentary media monitoring and then try and uh, work out a good a good topic from there and sometimes there are just lots, lots of good topics in a particular week. So it might be that actually we right right about that. Say two weeks after it appeared, and uh, the headlines were a major news story. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's about sort of scouring the news for ideas, essentially.
1: Yeah, for example, I mean, we haven't decided next on next week's, but you know, the 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 announcement today that five million, they passed this record of you know, five million COVID deaths. Well, you know, you know the, but that's deaths that have been recorded as COVID, which is an absolutely hopeless underestimate of the total mortality. So, to you know, we could yeah. write one on how spurious that is. But in a way, it's going over some ground because we have done excess deaths before. And so, um, you know, inevitably, you do start mentioning some of the same things again. But it's hardly surprising after 40 something articles.
0: David, you mentioned earlier about um, some frustration you may have had in some of the coverage of of COVID stats, and I wonder if you could maybe give us a bit of a rundown of what you see, maybe some of the bigger missteps journalists are making, and what they might do to address address those issues.
1: Okay, shall I go? Shall I go first on that one, Anthony? Do you store up yours? I, I, I'm going to say I think the journalists have done pretty well on the whole. I, I, I always say this, Um they really have done. Well. And some of them have done fantastically well. Um, you know, uh, I think, you know, the financial, we've mentioned the Financial Times in this country have been excellent, but others have been very good, you know, BBC, The Economist, and he right right through, we we help everybody, we'll help all the tabloids, any newspaper, there's some radio outlets I will not help, but basically I'll help just about everybody, you know, I've gone into a sulk about some people, I just, having (laughs) having been stitched up, I will not help them again, but I help nearly everybody else, and they're very good they're very good the problem is if it kind of a story gets out of the hands of the specialist journalists and the health journalists who've got very adept at understanding the limitations of the numbers and what they mean so you know occasionally we still get messages things that the daily number of deaths announced people might say oh it's the number of deaths record you know that have happened in the last 24 hours or oh look it's gone up from the day before and it, it as we write about in the book you know a lot and everybody knows it is it's, it's it depends so much on the day of the week, you know, roughly speaking, there's twice as many deaths on Wednesdays as there are on Sundays. And, you know, and that's just because of the way they're recorded. And so the, you know, the record, when they, you know, the records come in. So that's, that's nonsensical. And I guess the one that we've probably, it's still ongoing, you know, most trouble about is about, um, uh, which is essentially the countering the anti-vax arguments. And, um, We've had to do two on that, which, um, you know, one where the, um, on the fact that back in was it back in June or something, when the number of yeah. deaths, COVID deaths, out of the people dying with COVID, more were vaccinated than were not vaccinated. And this was picked on. And we, we got at that. I think we were one of the first to get at spot that and yeah. and write an article saying, this is not a problem. This is exactly what you'd expect. Um, from uh, a vaccine that nearly all the high risk people have had, and yet isn't perfect, um, you know, as somebody said, a small proportion of a big number can be bigger than a large proportion, a larger proportion of a small number. So I thought it was quite a neat way of saying it. I, I wish I'd thought of that one. Um, anyway, we got absolutely hammered because um, anti-vaxxers picked the headline about you know where we pointed out that more people. Um, who were dying were vaccinated, and not vaccinated, and went with it, and we got all sorts of flack, coming back abuse on Twitter, threats, and all this kind of stuff. So, so that was quite fun, and um, so that <laughs> that was that was our attempt at preempting misunderstanding, which I is something I deeply believe in, um, but we may have preempted it a bit too a bit too strongly, I think because we seem to have promoted the misunderstanding in some ways
2: yeah yeah, yeah that yeah that, that episode was uh, particularly difficult right yeah yeah i think i think the reason why some people jumped on our article was cuz uh, it's on the guardian website even though it's in the observer newspaper so people were going like oh the guardian reports this when of course actually the figure had been reported by the organization formerly known as public health England at that time. And, uh, yes. So you can't, and I noticed like, for instance, uh, BBC reality check wrote a similar article, full fact wrote a similar article, but neither kind of suffered, uh, the same kind of backlash, which I, I, I would infer represents some issue of primacy and probably some issue around the headline that was, that was written for that one, for that one. Uh, but yeah, yeah yeah, it's, it's always tremendously difficult when you try um, sort of, I guess unpick people's misunderstandings is that they then just reassert the misunderstanding.
1: But I, I, still, yes. I still believe it's the right thing to do to preempt it and to get in there and, and tell, the, tell it how it is, even if some people will be de- deliberately take what you say and misrepresent it.
0: You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking COVID by the numbers with David Spiegelhalter and Anthony Masters.
3: Yeah, that's, that seems like there, there's so many challenges in trying to communicate this, this system where there's, it's difficult to define endpoints. It's difficult to think about, like you were mentioning, even, even defining denominators for some of the calculations that you want to do. And then you're making predictions where there's uncertainty in this prediction. And and a lot of times this the story seems simplest to write when there's just a single number that's to be reported. And and you know, so what are some of the the things that you've when you raise this in stories that you write, you know, how do you deal with these this communicating uncertainty and and kind of the fact that there's we're building on grounds that are not fully fully set?
2: Ooh. Uh, uh, yeah yeah you go first yeah. uh, okay I, I, I'll go first um, yes yeah, so, so I uh, I think our articles actually included cre- credible and confidence intervals in them which is you know quite unusual even for um, uh, specialist uh, publications to try and uh, get people to recognise that actually there isn't a single point there is uncertainty around each estimate and that actually, you, you know, the world is a, lo- a lot, less sharp, uh, and things are things are much fuzzier, like particularly when you're looking at, like, say, observational data and so on, uh, than a single news headline that you know, like, oh, this, this vaccine has 95% efficacy, or, or, or whatever it may be. And yeah, there's also yeah, I guess ways of using language to try and describe uncertain situations, so as in, uh, you know, try point out that, oh well, you know that that therefore means that, you know, like as in we might expect dismay cases, or you know this this may missions in future, or uh, or it may or it may fall from a range from this number to that number, and yeah, yeah, trying to uh, yeah express. That you're uncertain is really quite difficult uh but i think it's yeah i think it's the better way to uh to write about statistics is to pay to to be up front that, that you don't know and uh it, it, yeah it's better to give um a, an uncertain answer rather than one with a false sense of certainty
1: but i i think the you know numerical uncertainty while you know more complex is still easier than the than ambiguity of terms and uh, the fact that it's not even as you you, you said that it's not John when it's not even really clear often what you're actually talking about and there's two ways in which that can happen first of all that even if you know how is a COVID death re- you know defined you know etc It's that the the actual object. Um, isn't clear exactly what it means or how it is but the most common misunderstanding is just you know what's the denominator when people start talking about yes. you know proportion of you know false positive rate well that's such an ambiguous term what do you mean do you mean you know the proportion of you know people who have not got the disease who you falsely claim have got the disease the one minus the specificity as we would say or do you mean out of the people with a positive test how many turn out to be false and um so you know to have to lay that out in detail crucially what is the denominator out of when you saw people talk about a percentage or a rate out of what who are the actual group you're talking about that is just the most common mistake that's made i think and you just have to keep on banging home and, and actually I know I don't like using percentages almost ever. I just I much prefer out of a hundred x's we would expect blah 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 which takes more words and you have 350 words you don't want to waste them but <laughs> you know you you do tend it's much better to use a few in order to have absolute clarity who you're actually talking about so out of a hundred people who test positive we would expect this many to be false positives etc to be absolutely clear yeah, yeah.
0: I wonder, given that you guys are combing through this data so frequently, if there are stories you think journalists are missing or under-reporting that you think they should s- spend more time with?
2: Ooh. I, I would say I, I've only seen ha- a very small handful of articles about the continued uh, and persistent, shift in England and Wales, certainly, and it may, may be the case in our countries as well, to dying at home, uh, where people are now choosing not to go into hospitals, poss- possibly out of fear of infection, or they believe that they may have a better experience uh, when they're at home uh, for the end of their life. Uh, but, but yeah, yeah, this, this seems uh, somewhat unexplored at the moment or underexplored, other than...
1: Yeah. And we, we, we've we been, we've written about this, and it's something I actually feel very strongly about, you know, for um, personal reasons, I suppose, that you know, end-of-life care, I think, is extraordinarily important. And it's something that, in general, there are not enough statistics about, you know, it, it's difficult data to measure, the quality of end-of-life care, what do we mean, how do we assess it, where, where's the data? And yet, it's absolutely vital. We learn all about what's being done in the hospitals, but as, as Anthony said, there, there's a systematic shift. Nothing to do with these aren't COVID deaths, and it, and it happened even when there was almost no COVID around, that a third more people are dying at home than did before the pandemic, and there's absolutely no sign of that changing. So um, people, some journalists have picked this up and gone with it, and there have been articles and everything. But um, it, 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 I think one of the problems is that these experiences happen to just individual families or individuals even on their own. There's no institutions involved. There's no organization involved that can speak on behalf. Nobody speaks on behalf, particularly apart from, you know, some of the, you know, the, maybe the hospice organizations or the, you yeah. know, the ones who organize this care. I have have seen so Marie Curie in this country organize end-of-life care, and they have been now making a, a thing about it. Um, but nobody really speaks on behalf of these, you know, fragmented individuals having these experiences.
3: Well, I've I've really been enjoying reading your book, and I'm I'm about two thirds of the way through, and I've I, I just want to say just how much I, I delight in some of the turns of phrase that that you employ. I mean, I you know one one part you were discussing that the shadow of the pandemic is cast far into the future. I mean, I just thought that just just nice nice touches and nice oh, elaborations. That's, that's so, one of Anthony's. Well, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so I just wanted to-
2: yeah yeah I must say I always laugh uh, when I see like people uh, uh, I say. Uh, it, praising David for, you know, very nice turns of phrase in in the columns. And then, you you know, I occasionally, you know, almost want to go, yeah, I actually wrote that one. (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah. but the the assumption seems to be if it's, like, really well-written, yes, David, if it's, like, clunky and, uh, you know, wooden and perfunctory, I wrote it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is so, it's so untrue. And we really do... We really did divvy up the writing. I mean, writing this book was a real challenge. You notice, you know, they're very short chapters. They're only, you know, you know. we were told 25,000 words. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, we handed it in. Well, we we were told about 25,000. That's this contract we signed. We, you know, rapidly negotiated a contract, very rapid turnaround, had to be written in a few months, about 20. And we handed in 38,000. We thought, you know, we're stunned. That's about 25,000. And we said, on a, on a, on a log scale. Long scale. Pretty, <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, no, I, I think that's, no, I just wanted to say how much I've been enjoying and, and kudos to both. So uh, I, I would like to just just ask you to explore a little bit. At, at the very end, You, as part of your postscript, you talked about some of the lessons learned from UK's experience. And I, I, I thought there was a, a lot of uh, wisdom embedded in those, that, that list of 10 items, ranging from invest in public health data to publish the evidence and so on, up through uh, put evaluation at the heart of policy. I mean, if, if, you could, if you could have one item on a wish list fulfilled into the future,
1: what, what might that be? I, I mean, we should say we stole those.
2: Um, <laughs> 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 no. Uh, no, no, we, we we didn't steal. We uh, we, we have a citation it's for the Royal Statistical Society. Yeah, exactly. We, yeah, but we did we, steal.
1: Uh... Oh no, we did. We did say where we stole them from, but we. Yeah. <laughs> but they're very good. No, no. Yeah, no, they are no, very good, um, and they're very yeah. they're important I to did, highlight. I suppose I contributed a bit to them. It's from the Royal Statistical Society COVID nineteen Working Group, and uh, we we got these out, and yeah, I think they were very good. So we we thought, well, why why invent our own when we could you know use somebody else's oh it's very difficult um the, the i mean the the whole thing about transparency publishing the evidence obviously obviously unbelievably important building decision maker statistical skills and in, or insight the data literacy oh, i don't know i i wouldn't like to choose one Anthony, what do you reckon what do you reckon if, you'd choose one? if you if you yeah. had to one I, mean, I was going to make
2: those. a joke there that F- for the benefit of the tape that, you know, both authors were looking at the book, but the, uh, <laughs> the-
0: <laughs> so are both
3: hosts. So. <laughs> well, I was uh, going to yeah, say, if you deliver 25,000.
2: Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is really tough. As David says, like, I, I, I think I'm due to the sort of issues about the underlying data that is in say uh, published journal articles and preprints and things like that. I think, Greater openness and clarity about the data, like the actual underlying data set, what 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 everything means, and so on, uh, would be probably a great spare fit. But it's yeah, easily it really tough because it, even now you have uh, you know numbers floating into the public realm that don't appear to have a proper source and uh, things like that. Really tough to choose. Is I, I, uh, uh, yeah. I think
1: you know you're going to read slightly between the lines, but um, and because you know we 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 we're trying not to be make this into a polemic, but basically I think you know I think what Anthony says is absolutely right. Is the transparency, the openness about the data, is the I think the number one thing, and in particular getting the release of data out of any political control, um, and uh, that's kind of implicit. We don't we don't go into that. But in it, but people have been going into that, and I feel very strongly that um, that you, you know we shouldn't have to wait for n- approval by Number Ten Downing Street before we get a look at the evidence behind the decisions that are being made, and uh, that I think is no, number one for me.
3: Well, I was going to say, if if you delivered thirty eight thousand when asked for twenty five, I was certain that, that one would not be constraining you. <laughs> I, I, th- I thought you might think that you'd have somewhere between two and five. So, that's a, that's a, uh, uh, you know. But I they're also good, though.
0: They are it's, very uh, good.
3: Uh, yeah.
2: I'm, yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's about no, what you're asking. There for is, is for us to tier them rather than yes, uh, yeah. Rather than rank. Uh. Yeah.
3: So, you know, one question I would – when I looked at, like, building decision-makers' statistical skills – and, you know, and Rosemary was asking the question about, you know, what journalism – about journalist coverage here. And you talked about the specialist journalists versus maybe some of the non-specialists and, and how things were being reported. Do you have, have sort of uh, words of wisdom for trying to, to help uh, gear up and build up these decision-makers' skills –
1: Yeah, um, I actually got some experience of that. Is that um, back in last year? uh, Well, Number Ten, I was just being a bit rude about Number Ten Downing Street, but Number Ten Downing Street set up its own, you know, data science group, which has been extremely um, uh, effective. And one of the first things they did was develop a, a data masterclass for not only the senior civil servants but politicians ministers and diplomats and things like that and I took part I went down to number 10 Downing Street in through the front door met Larry the cat and um, which (laughs) is great and uh, to to film there and uh, they got all sorts of people into film did it really quickly but extremely effectively and that and that's now been taken over by the Office for National Statistics, which is great, and it's been very successful. You know, I don't know, two thousand people have done it or something like that. With senior, yeah. Of senior, senior sort of. of course, it's not how to do the stats. It's about basic, you know, but what it can do, and uh, you know, it also goes up into machine learning and gives some exemplars of you know really cool stuff that's being done and so on and it'll need revision but the idea was that we would then have sort of levels grades people this is just a basic one that people go up to a higher level and this seems to be popular um supported by at a high level um and so i think this is a very very exciting development that would never have happened without covid it would never have happened We've been, I mean, everyone's been banging on about this for years that we want senior civil servants not to be trained to do it, but to know what questions to ask and what to expect and not to have unrealistic expectations about what the data can say at the same time, realizing how strong it can be. And and particularly linking data sources and things like that. So um, COVID is really, and also there's, oh, I mean, my conflict of interest here is that I'm on the board of the UK Statistics Authority, now as a non-executive director, which oversees the work of the Office of National Statistics, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And there's the Integrated Data Services starting out, which is, again, really, I think, has been born from COVID, which is a you know an initiative to, that, to bring together data sources from right across uh, government and commercial organisations in order to answer important questions, as has been done with COVID. Um, and so uh, it's a really exciting time.
0: Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Anthony and David, thank you so much for joining us today.
3: No, thanks. Thanks very much. It's been great. Thank you.
0: Stats & Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter at Stats & Stories, Apple Podcasts, or other places where you find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to Stories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats & Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.